What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, we are on our 17th episode. Spring training has begun, NBA's in full-fledged, the NFL offseason is going on. What more could we be talking about, really? I mean, it's baseball time. It's, it's just it, it's, it's how it feels I mean as we were talking about before the show we've got spring training games coming on this weekend we'll start to move in that and we're just what five weeks away now from April 1st an opening day so things yeah. are things are exciting and it's I think it now is a good time to put a bow on the offseason there are still a couple guys out there which we'll talk about in a second but feels like a good time to kind of take a step back and review it yeah so Pat and I wanted to give all of our listeners an insight into what we're thinking so Over the weekend, we created a calendar for, what, the next month and a couple weeks, maybe maybe six weeks. So just to give a sneak peek of that, we have baseball today. We're going to have a a lot of guests, hopefully, a lot of college basketball as we get into the conference tournaments and then obviously the NCAA tournament. We're going to have a serious MLB preview. We're not even labeling this as the MLB preview. And then also... Pat and I have talked about doing more baseball content, potentially two episodes during the week as baseball season gets into full swing. So, (coughs) excuse me, that's a sneak peek there. But first, we wanted to really set it back into our podcast and our socials. And I have some action steps as you are listening to this podcast. So first, please go to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button of Did You Hear?, And leave us a five-star rating and review. We really, really appreciate that. Helps us with the Apple algorithm and gets our podcast out there. More visibility, more exposure. The other thing that we wanted to talk about is that social media presence. So we are on Instagram and Twitter at DidYouHearPod. Please give us a follow on there. And we want to give a little bit of incentive here. If you leave us a rating or review or you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we will shout you out on the next episode. In the next few weeks, like I said, we might have some mailbag episodes, we might have some guests. We want to get the people engaged, and we want to meet people. A big part of why Pat and I started this podcast is so that we could engage with people on social media. And if you can do that for us, we want to reward you in some way. Helping us come up with topics, helping us come up with best of segments. Right, Pat? I mean, this is this is really a big reason why we wanted to do this. Yeah, we want to be able to start and join a conversation basically with people and see where it's going and take some input and put that into the show as well. So I think it would be really fun and uh, it would benefit all of us. So yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so rating reviews, throw us that follow on socials, and then we will shout you out on next week's episode 18. So thank you for listening to that. Let's get into the baseball stuff that matters now. Pat and I fielded a team of the most important off-season transactions. We have all nine positions plus a relief uh, pitcher. But first, Pat, there are two serious free agents that have not been signed yet, and we're a week into spring training at this point. So can you please tell me why Jackie Bradley Jr. hasn't been picked up by a team right now? Yeah, it's strange. It feels like, well, a lot of free agents especially that more of an upper class free agent like the market was there for them and it was fine I mean you saw it with the stars on the market with LeMahieu Springer Real Muto and Bauer but kind of that middle class free agent which is what I would put Bradley in mm-hmm. has had a little bit more of a tougher time you've seen a lot of like one and two year deals being signed now 
the big problem with Bradley is that apparently he's looking for a four-year deal. And looking at Jackie Bradley, just the the whole scope of work for him, I would feel uncomfortable committing to four years to Jackie Bradley Jr. So I can imagine a lot of other baseball teams are uncomfortable committing to him for that stretch. I mean, you know you're going to get some sparkling defense out of him. He's one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. That is a huge impact. But offensively, you also know that while he had a nice year in 2020, it was 217 at-bats. You know, he hit 380. The big thing was the 360 on base. Before that, you know, you didn't get too much offense out of him. He's a career 320 on base type of guy. He's not someone I think teams are comfortable putting in a lot of years. Listen, George Springer got a bunch of years. He's a bona fide superstar, postseason mm-hmm. performer, all of that. Jackie Bradley Jr., I think he's overvalued himself a little bit too much. And I would not be surprised if where we are at this point in the spring now, if he's just got to take a one-year deal somewhere and try to test the market again next year. Yeah, the market hasn't been good for everybody besides the stars. Springer, Riamoto, yeah. Bauer, and LeMahieu, really. And it's unfortunate because I think Bradley did shoot himself in the foot a little bit by asking for the four years. That's too much for somebody like him who still it needs is. to prove himself offensively. And he ranks in the 99th percentile of defem- of in defenders. He is a bona fide star when it comes to the defensive side of his game. He does perform in the postseason. He was the 2018 ALS MVP for the Red Sox. He, without Jackie Bradley, the Red Sox wouldn't have won the World Series in 2018. I'm 100% confident saying Mm. that. He was excellent offensively in 2020, but it is that sample size. It goes both ways. If we're going to rail on somebody for having low numbers in the shortened season, you also can't put too much stock in a short season. Good numbers. But, yeah, I really think... The biggest reason why teams have shied away is because of that year commitment. And the teams that have the money to spend went in different directions. Look what the Mets did. They signed two center fielders instead of going with Bradley. When I saw them add Almora Jr. and Kevin Pillar, Kevin Pillar especially adding another depth option that's not named Jackie Bradley, I was just, I was surprised because Bradley obviously deserves to be on a team. He deserves Mm -hmm. to be a starting center fielder on. 29 or 30 of these teams they're a few better than him but yeah it's surprising there yeah that for the Mets that was all done in the name of flexibility right. um, but and then the the biggest thing that that I look at for Bradley is that he's about to move into his age 31 season mm-hmm. looking for a four-year deal defense is usually what regresses the hardest as players get older especially in such a defensive centric position as center field it's just, it makes you uncomfortable and it makes you weary. And I think that's enough to put teams off. But another guy that is still out there right now is a pitcher and that would be Jake Odorizzi. Why is he still a free agent? Yeah. Actually, one more thing about Bradley that sure. made me think of it. The Blue Jays signed Springer with the idea that he was probably only going to spend two or three years in center mm-hmm. because they just lose the the athleticism, the speed, the versatility, getting their glove all over the field like Springer and Bradley do. So that's actually a really good point. But Jake Odorizzi, is, it's baffling to me why he hasn't been picked. And I've talked about this a lot on this show. The most valuable part of a pitcher right now is innings pitched. If a pitcher can go out there and eat six or seven innings, he deserves to be a two or three starter for a team. That's what Jake Odorizzi can do, and he is unsigned. It's clear-cut with me, Bradley wants too much, and teams aren't willing to invest with him. I'm not sure what the holdup is for Odorizzi. I'm really not. He, 
he had a tough 2020 season, but it was because of injuries and also injuries that he can't control. He had blister stuff and he was hit, hit, uh, with his body by a pitch, sort of like the Corey Kluber situation. Yep. He was excellent in 2019, 30 starts in all-star before last season. This is the stat that sticks out to me. He averaged 30 starts and 165 innings over a six year period. How many other starters can say that? That's what we call about a nice sample size. <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the thing is, for him, too, the market is just really tough. It's tough to be a pitcher right now. Only two pitchers have signed multi-year contracts, one of them being Trevor Bauer, and the other's Mike Miner. So Odorizzi is trying to find his place in this market, and we've seen it with pitchers in the past, actually. The, f- the longer they wait to get to spring training – the more it's going to affect them in the season. Um, Craig Kimbrell really sticks out to me. He struggled with the Cubs because he waited so long to sign with the team because there were so many money issues. And the pitchers just need reps. He needs to be out in the field, and he might have to sacrifice the money a bit if, if that's what it's going to take. Yeah, pitchers especially need to get into camp to be able to build up that arm strength and really stretch out. So it's really vital that these guys have teams right around now, I mean, you saw Taiwan Walker sign last week to get into Mets camp to make sure that he can start stretching out. Uh, Odorizzi's a weird one. Like you said, I can't pinpoint an exact reason. I'm assuming, again, it's got to come down to years, is that he's looking for, for you know, he's going, again, another guy going into his age 31 seasons, looking for more of a bigger contract to be able to see him through onto the downside of his career. And in the market, I just don't think he's seeing it right now. Now, funny enough, I think there are plenty of teams that will absolutely benefit yeah. To having Odorizzi That's what into I that mean. Rotation. It becomes so nitpicky. Over half the teams want him in their rotation. That's the thing. So again, yeah. I I could see this as a a one two year deal again. Try, try to reestablish some value and, and test the market again because it feels like a strange one. Yeah, it's unfortunate for him because if he had been a free agent last year, right after his twenty nine season twenty nineteen season, mm-hmm. he would have been in an, an excellent spot. Yes, he would. And it's just the pandemic and obviously the injuries really. Yep. Really straight that. But let's get into our team, shall we? Let's do it. All right, you start off with catcher. So, we, again, we're going to go through each position, the most important slash impactful offseason transactions. We've got free agents and we've got trades involved here. Yeah, sure. So starting at catcher, there actually were some options here at catcher with guys that either moved or stayed. You know, Yadier Molina coming back to St. Louis. You had James McCann going to the Mets, but for me, it has to be J2 Rio Muto. Not exactly going out on a limb here, but if you're looking at the biggest impact from catcher, just imagine that Phillies roster without Rio Muto. They needed him so badly that it just, it had to happen for them. I actually do think the Phillies have quietly had a nice offseason, being able to add especially to that bullpen, but the whole thing, the house of cards crumbles if JT Real Muto, the best catcher in the game, doesn't come back there. They got it done. That's what's most important, and the Phillies need him if they want to be able to compete in the National League this year. Yeah, that's exactly it. They brought Dave Dombrowski on, and if he wasn't able to re-sign JT Real Muto, what's the point of bringing him on, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, I actually don't like the contracts for five years and $115 million, so he'll be in Philly from his age 30 season to his age 34 season. And we've seen a prime example of regression in Yadier Molina as the age mm-hmm. goes up. Especially at catcher, brutal position. Right, that's what I years. mean. So with that being said, that's why I wanted to go with James McCann because he's slightly younger. I think he has more unknown upside. Uh, uh, to clarify, I mean, we know that J- J2 Riomoto is the best catcher in the game. 
we don't know if James McCann can be the second best catcher in the game. He's shown mm-hmm. glimpses of it, but he's just too inconsistent to give him the the number one spot here. But JT Realmuto ranks in the top 20 or 30 in terms of hitters. Not position. He's just hitters. phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. He, his percentiles are higher than 67 in exit velo, hard hit percentage, barrel percentage, and framing. And that's why he is the best catcher in the game. He can also steal a base every once in a while. I think he has a really good career in Philly, and everything moves around him. They build the pieces now that he is secure. Oh, completely agree. And if, again, we're talking overall impact of all of this with what the Phillies gave up to the Marlins to initially get him as well yes. with that package, including Sixto Sancho, that just it needed to be done. It just it needed to be done for, for Philly to be able to compete. It's going to have a huge impact. As I said, the biggest, the b- easiest way to quantify JT Rumuto is just picture that Phillies roster without him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not the same. So that that is why, for me, he was an easy pick as a top catcher. Yeah, it's hard to not get into play or team-by-team previews, which yep. we're going to do a lot of in Yes, the that's future. what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, but um, I really don't even think that this addition, or I guess retention of Real Muto mm-hmm. stacks up to what any of the other NL East teams did, which is unfortunate for the Phillies. But w- regardless of that, they needed Real Muto, period. That's the yep. end of the discussion. They needed him. All right, so I will move to first base now. This one was pretty obvious to me because of the, the drop-off after him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Josh Bell, he was traded to the Nats for a major league and a minor league pitcher. In terms of his place on the Nats now, he gives them the type of talent at a cornerstone position that they haven't had in almost since the inception of this team. Five of the six first basemen who played for the Nats last season either retired or were free agents. They needed a steady hitter to go in and play first base. They also needed a steady hitter to hit behind Juan Soto and Trey Turner. And I think Josh Bell isn't the two-month 2019 version that we saw of him where he was potentially a an MVP candidate. He was that good at the beginning of 2019. But I think he's a 20-home run guy. I think he's a better-than-average hitter. And he's the best first baseman that the Nats have had in years. That's it. Yeah, yeah. so we agree on, on this as well. I do think he's the best first baseman that Washington's had probably since Adam LaRoche, and that goes back to, to 2014. Wow, yeah. Uh, trust me, he tortured the Mets, so I remember him <laughs> very well. Um, well, kind of why I look at this is just I thought it was a great buy-low opportunity from Washington. I can't say I understand why Pittsburgh was in such a hurry to move him. I just don't think it makes too much sense. Uh, for for the Nationals, you get a guy that ranked in the 87th percentile on exit velocity and 70 mm-hmm. percentile on hard hit percentage. So you, you know he's got some pop in that bat. Uh, you know, sw- switch hitter, as you said, will provide some lineup support in the middle of that lineup. And just, as I said, just a perfect buy low candidate. So if you're looking for someone that can have a nice bounce back 2021, I think he's towards the top of the list, just looking at some of the advanced stats on it. And it just made way too much sense for Washington. And on the flip side, just made very little sense for Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, but Pat, look what Pittsburgh has done this entire offseason. Yes, yes. Nothing, shedding, I mean, shedding any type of salary. If they were to keep any talented player, then that would be seen as the weird move at this point because of every Fair enough. they lost. <laughs> Fair <laughs> That's enough. Just, I, you don't want to see the shedding, obviously, but that they're just totally in this rebuild right now. They I'm are. a little concerned about... Josh Bell's regression from when he was 
unbelievable at the beginning of 2019 through the end of the shortened 2020 season. Oh, the problem is he swings at everything. I mean, That's he, he I, walks, yeah. but his it's, it's weird to put this. He's disciplined in that he has a decent walk rate, mm-hmm. but he also swings at a ton of pitches outside the strike zone, and it makes him really susceptible to the strikeout. So if he can lower that strikeout number, the exit velo and the hard hit rate numbers you gave were perfect. He crushes the ball when he when he gets it. And I think he is the perfect... Mm, I'm not sure if he's cleanup hitter. Maybe five? Five, I think, he seems perfect. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, and I think the Nats have a pretty formidable lineup now with him in it. Oh, they do. And I will talk about another Washington National in a little bit. Oh, interesting. All right, second base, go ahead. Second base... Uh, I will preface it by, of course, it's DJ LeMahieu because the Yankee. I, I can give the same exact argument that I did for for JT Realmuto mm-hmm. uh, with the Phillies. It's LeMahieu with the Yankees. I just want to mention this guy. I love what the Brewers did with Colton Wong. Mm-hmm. I think Colton Wong is a really important piece for them to add to that middle uh, middle infield defense. I'm imagining they're going to slot him at second base and move Kesson here either to third or to first. Obviously, he has been a really solid hitter for them. Not a great second baseman. You bring in Wong. Wong is gold glove, gold glove caliber. Also, what it does is it weakens a division rival in the Cardinals. I mean, he was a very good Cardinal for them and, and an important player for a long time. I really like that move from the Brewers. I think it flew under the radar a little bit. Yeah, it did. Um, so a, a solid move from the NL Central where I don't think there were too many. Yeah, that's a good pick. And it, it really said everything to me with somebody as... Low profile might be harsh because he was so big for the Cardinals, but a second baseman who's pretty middle tier, mm-hmm. Cardinals fans were pissed that they didn't retain yeah, him. He was an important player for them. Yeah. Good base runner, great defender, finds a way to get on base. He's a good player. He he really is. So I, I liked that move for the Brewers, and I think it was very important to steal him away from the Cardinals. Yeah, the division move was good. I'm confused by the Brewers and their their direction right now they're also linked a lot to bradley which is just interesting they are because they might move lorenzo kane yeah they've been talked about moving hater they are kind of in a strange crossroads if and then they yeah and then they add wong when they already have a star in hero which everybody thinks is going to continue to get better and better Mm -hmm. but defensive metrics are there he's a solid end of the lineup but solid hitter who can who can help elevate this brewer's offense and defense and who the st louis isn't going to want to play at all yeah it greatly improves their base running ability really really huge impact on defense and i think it'll allow hero to move to more of a corner infield position and just focus on the bat yeah so i had to go with lemayhew obviously of course. i gushed about him a couple of weeks ago with my shift numbers um if you're a complete nerd like i am go back and <laughs> listen to that because that was really cool to research but it, it, you're right, actually. It's, it's very similar to Real Muto's role with the Phillies is Lemayo's role with the Yankees. It's centered around him this offseason for New York. I think he should be the face of the Yankees. I get the judge is the better power hitter. I get that Stanton is the better power hitter. But if Lemayo doesn't go, the Yankees don't go. I, mm-hmm. I really believe in that wholeheartedly. And I have, you know hundreds of numbers that I could go through, but he's been a top five MVP finalist in the last two seasons. He's a top 10 hitter in BABIP, which is how often a ball in play becomes a hit. He's top 10 in runs. He's been first in batting average for the past two seasons. This guy just gets on base. He hits the ball hard. He plays solid time at three different positions. He makes the Yankees versatile 
and he's one of the purest players in the game. I love LeMahieu. He gen- genuinely, he's one of my favorite baseball players, and I'm a Red Sox fan. So if that says yeah. anything about how good I think LeMahieu is, <laughs> why why he's so important is just the balance he brings to that Yankee lineup. I mean, you, you talk about it. You've got Judge, you've got Stanton, you've got Voit. LeMahieu yeah. is just kind of plays off of that, and he is more of the contact guy. You, you said the shift numbers, which are just ridiculous for what he's able to do. He's got the position versatility. He doesn't miss many games due to injury. He is so key to everything that the Yankees do and why they are going to be the top contender in the American League this year. Most of that runs through him being a table setter for the rest of those guys behind him yeah, and just putting up the big numbers that he does. One of the best leadoff hitters in the game too, and I'm knocking on wood right now. I hope you can hear that. He doesn't get hurt. It's almost odd. It's freaky how often Yankees hitters get hurt nowadays. You have to count in Stanton missing a month, Judge missing a month. DJ's the the steady presence for them day in and day out. I severely hope that I didn't jinx him right there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to just see him on the field every single day when Judge and Stanton and Voight and even... Even guys like Gio Arshella, it seems like, are always getting hurt. It's it's weird. It, it is. They they have had an unseemly amount of injuries the last couple seasons, which has really played a large role in keeping them from getting back to the World Series. Yeah, and that being said, they've still made it to the postseason, and they still are, have the next man up mentality on steroids, and that they always have somebody very good who can perform. But, Brian Cashman, it's what yeah, he does. Right? It, it's what he does. But ready to move to the left side of the infield where I think these ones are pretty set. Yeah, is this the shortstop is me first? Yes. Uh, I'm sure we have the same guy. It's Francisco Lindor. I, I tried Smiles. to go I, I tried to go a couple of um, mix it up options on a few of these, but you legitimately can't pick somebody other than Lindor for the best shortstop potentially in the game. I know you think that. He's 27 years old. He's already a four-time all-star. He's got the power. He's had three straight 30 homer seasons in his career. He's had the third most most wins above replacement in the sport since 2015. Two gold gloves. One of the best defensive shortstops in the game. He truly Mm -hmm. has it all. And I think the Mets... Actually, this is a whole conversation for a different time. I think the Mets had one of the best off-seasons in the history of the sport. And if I think if... They can lock Lindor down. He will be one of the best Mets to ever play in the, their uniform. Yeah, I mean, I ditto on everything, and I'm, I'm not going to just reiterate it all. Uh, but the the extension would be would be massive. The the Mets' focus now does go to an extension to him as well as Michael Conforto as the other cornerstone, right? Really, of of how that offense goes. So Lindor is also my guy. But just to not completely state everything again, I want to do an honorable mention to Angelton Simmons going to Minnesota, Mm -hmm. just because thinking about the up the middle defense of Angelton Simmons and Byron Buxton in Minnesota is just, it brings a smile to my face that the size that Francisco Lindor does, because that is just, (laughs) you're, you're not going to see a better combination anywhere in baseball than, than Simmons and Buxton patrolling the center. Uh, I I really like Anderson Simmons. I thought he was obviously platinum Glover in Atlanta. Phenomenal job out in, in with the Angels as well. I think that's an important piece that the Twins added. That's an, another guy that's been battle tested, been there to the postseason with Atlanta as uh, as the Twins try and build something in the Central, which will be a tough division this year. So I really want to spotlight yeah. that one, and I think Minnesota did a very nice job with that addition. 
I did too. I was so gung ho about the White Sox. I thought it was their division to lose. And look at Minnesota that Twins roster. Qui- it's not quietly bad. Yep. put together a serious offseason, and I think it's actually still theirs to lose now. I don't think Chicago is quite ready to compete. It's a two team race. Yet. Is how yeah. I look at it. Yeah, and then after that, there's nobody even close. I actually had three shortstops listed here. Oh, I like I it. Had, I had Marcus Semyon above Simmons. Simmons I, I like that there. move a lot for Toronto. Yeah, it's it's the defense for Simmons, but his slugging percentage is so low that it gives me pause. Mm-hmm. Um, Semyon, on the other hand, his defense isn't as good as Simmons. His offense is, but it's also not as good as some of the other huge shortstops out there, as in Baez, Story, Correa, Seager, Lindor, etc. The entire free he, agent class of 2022. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he finished third in AL MVP voting in the last full season we had in 2019. And then in 2020, I had a really good time looking at Marcus Semien's stats. I actually had a, a brain freeze and put him down first because I forgot that Lindor got moved. So I have a lot of stuff on Semien. But um, he was pretty bad in almost every hitting hitting category in 2020. Exit velo, hard hit percentage, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage. But he ranks in the 56th percentile in strikeouts, which means he doesn't strike out much. 70th percentile in walks, which means he walks a lot. And the 65th percentile and whiff rate, so that he, which means he doesn't swing and miss often. So there are a lot of moving parts to evaluating Semyon. He Definitely. got a much bigger contract than Simmons as well, one year, 18 million with the Jays. The Jays are actually planning on moving him to second to keep Bo Bichette at third. They now have one of the best infields in the league, I think. But I think it'll be, I think this year will be really telling for Semyon because. 2020 wasn't his best, 2019 was. So what does he do in this this next full season to try and prove to people that those hitting numbers weren't a fluke? Yeah, strong offseason for Toronto helps lengthen that lineup. I I think there are a lot of things to like about it, and especially as you said, it's a one-year deal. It doesn't hurt them. So you, you, right. you might as well go at it. And uh, I, I think, as I said, just another piece to that lineup, which is already exciting with you know Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, uh, Goriel. Toronto is going to be one of the more fun teams to watch this year, and he's going to be a part of that. Yeah, I think so too. And I I don't think he's, again, I don't think he's in the free agent tier or even Xander Bogart's level, but I think he is a serious shortstop that elevates a team immediately. Yeah. Especially a young team like Toronto. That's a perfect spot for him. No, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. All right, third base. This one was this was it's, my most obvious pick. This is a gloss over. I don't even yeah. think we have to spend time on this. It's Nolan Arenado. Obviously, yeah. the trade. Not only was it the trade going to the Cardinals, making them the the prohibitive favorite in the NL Central. It's the absolute robbery that they mm-hmm. pulled off of the Colorado Rockies. In it, he, for my money, he's the best third baseman in the game. I know you have Rendon. No problem there, putting them one A, one B. Yeah. Uh, but just when the top position, when the top player at that position gets moved, I think it's pretty easy to know who's impactful. Exactly. I mean, also no big deal. They got the the Cardinals got Arenado and fifty one million dollars in cash. I don't right. know how they they're pulled just, that off. They're just I just chilling don't know with how. that fifty one mil. <laughs> I can't believe that the Rockies agreed to pay for that much of his yeah. salary. It just doesn't make sense. 
so if it if it wasn't so obvious, the biggest numbers I would also have to say about this, if I had to explain my point, the Cardinals ranked last in 2020 in home runs. They were the third worst in RBI runs and slugging, and they were the fifth worst in OPS. Now they've got a guy named Nolan Arenado who had a low 2020, but I'm discounting all of it because of injury. In 2019, he ranked fifth in the league in RBI, <laughs> tied for seventh in home runs, seventh in average, eighth in slugging in OPS, and he was the 11th best player in terms of wins above replacement. They just yeah. added one of the best hitters in the league to one of the worst leagues, one of the worst lineups in the league. And they made it to the postseason anyway. That's the weirdest thing about the Cardinals. And I can definitively say is the best fielding third baseman in all yes. of baseball as well to go on top of it. So just what a player easy. and what an yeah. impact. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right. Outfield is where we might disagree a little bit. Yes, I think we will. Center field, I believe we will have the same, but in the yeah. corners, uh, a little different. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, start with left. Exciting. So I just did corner outfield. Um, for, okay. for my two, but I'll give you one that I think not a lot of people are thinking about. And mine is David Dahl mm. going to the Texas Rangers. And why mm. I did that is, again, just to pile on the Colorado Rockies and what in the world <laughs> are they doing? Uh, so a very poor 2020 season, 2020 season in 24 games for Dahl. A guy that was a 2019 All-Star is 26 years old. You know, still with, even with this season, is a career 286 hitter, 330 on base guy that's got power. Sweet left-handed swing. They non-tendered him. It made absolutely no sense. And Texas, again, a perfect buy-low candidate here in David Dahl. Now, I'm not saying that I think Texas is going to be able to contend in the no. West, though that division I don't think is going to be great beyond Oakland, and I think Houston will be good but not great. But what I do see for this is just a player, A, that's going to be able to go in there and make a really big impact because I think he's much better than his 2020 showed. And say we get to the trade deadline, I think he's going to be the perfect type of player that can net the Rangers some some decent prospects in return to be able to send him to a contending team if he's having a nice year. So just a player that I was shocked at how the Rockies handled it and I think Texas is getting a, a very strong option here. Yeah, the 24 game shouldn't be no <laughs> the, the thing people think about when they think about David Dahl. So so that kind of stinks for him. 2019 just, All-Star. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Also, when we look back at the 2019 Rockies, I can't believe they didn't do better than they did. Yes. Blackman, Arenado, That was the year he was sitting 400 for a while, too. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, story... Herman Marquez was good. Freeland yeah. was Kyle Freeland was good. Dahl, I'm missing somebody. Um, yeah, I, I can't think can't of even it right remember now. who I who I t- said. But yeah, the, the Rockies should have been better, and they should have had the organizational harmony that they could retain these people and, and really make a run at it. Because now they're just spread out across the league, and I do think David Dahl is a really good bounce back candidate, but. I don't think he's anywhere close to being the best corner outfielder if that's how we're going to to uh, label it, the most important transaction. So in left field, I had Marcella Zuna. Mm. And I know this is an obvious pick, but I truly think if it hadn't been for the uncertainty with the DH rule, Marcella Zuna would have been signed back to the Braves immediately. So he did end up re-signing with Atlanta, which, is he, which he was with last year. Four years, $64 million. That's about the range I was expecting anyway. We might not see the astronomical numbers that we saw in 2020 when he hit 
almost 340. OPS plus of 175. <laughs> That's crazy. Pat, are you kidding? But I think he's a solid option for them. I think there is a Marcel Azuna size hole in the Braves lineup if they weren't able to sign him. It's the same thing we saw with Josh Donaldson. And Azuna, Azuna was even better than Donaldson was when he was in Atlanta. Honorable mention, and I had a hard time not picking this guy, Michael Brantley. Mm. Two seasons with Houston, identical OPS plus of 126. He is a seriously above average player, and I was surprised that more teams weren't after him. He's older, but you can get him for relatively cheap money. He's so consistent. He's top of the lineup guy, and he plays good defense. Yeah, I like Brantley a lot in in Houston. I thought that that was a smart move to bring him back. Uh, for Ozuna, a, again, a, a guy that I feel like it, it just fit in Atlanta. The problem is, as you said, is that he is one of the worst defensive outfielders in, yeah. in all of baseball. Uh, that's going to be okay because I'm going to give you a similar one uh, for our, our next corner outfield pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, an incredible 2020 season. Pretty good 2018s and 19s, even though not great. You know, kind of wasn't a great Cardinal by any means but played very well in 2020 we'll see if he can continue that trend obviously a massive bat but as you said definitely damaged by the fact it does not look like we're going to have a universal dh and i think that really played into his market being a little more down than it probably should have been yeah i i just i think with a bat as good as his and with when he was a cardinal injuries hampered him year after year literally three years straight he couldn't play to the the top of his potential because of injuries and when he was perfectly healthy look what he did so you know shortened season sample size whatever I just think that you can sacrifice the fielding when you have Ronald Acuna Jr. and Christian Pache as the other two I'm so excited to see Pache yeah if you have the four bat in Azuna like you will in Atlanta yeah Oh man, I mean, the Braves are going to be unbelievable. I am so excited to watch the Braves this season. One of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. Also one of the most interesting pitching staffs because they do not have a bona fide star on it. It's it's going to be interesting. They went with a lot of, they went kind of quantity over quality. But mm-hmm. as we said, we don't want to do a full uh, breakdown. Yeah, I actually <laughs> think, preview. I think Max Fried in the next two seasons will become a bona fide star. But when healthy, he's a stud. For now. He's unbelievable. When, when he healthy, he is credit. a stud. Yes. Yeah. No, good. That is a very fair point. Uh, going to the other corner, again, I went to a similar type player. I, I teased the Washington National. Kyle Schwarber, uh, mm. another guy that I love. Uh, another one that I thought was a little bizarre that the Cubs non-tendered him. I know they were trying to save some money here, but Again, if you're looking at that Washington team, you know the strength of the Nationals is the rotation. It's that three-headed monster in the rotation. The lineup kind of let them down last year. They've had to deal with injuries, especially once the pitching went down to injuries last year. They just completely fell in the tank. Adding Schwarber to that lineup with Josh Bell, with Juan Soto, I really like it. As a left-handed bat, I mean, this is a guy that when he plays, he hits 30 home runs. And that's something that (laughs) it's really really important in today's game to be able to have those power numbers he's a strong on base guy uh the thing that'll get you is defense with him so and again looks like there's not going to be a designated hitter in the national league but i think if schwarber is getting an everyday role with the washington nationals how he lengthens that lineup how he gives them another left-handed bat to go with soto i think he has the potential to have a monster year 
Yeah, and he actually, I think he's an upgrade over Adam Eaton, definitely. I do too. Eaton, and that's the guy they lost. Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I just Eaton just didn't really work with the Nationals the way it should have been. He had a bunch of injury problems and all that. He was fine for them, but I think Schwarber has a much higher ceiling. I think so too, and I, I actually forgot about him when we were talking about um, Josh Bell. Now they mm-hmm. have Bell and Schwarber, who are the home run heavy batters, whereas Turner and Soto are more on base. Maybe Soto's home run too, but Soto's yeah, I everything. Think, <laughs> uh, yeah, Soto's everything, and he's gonna get five hundred million money. dollars. A so. lot of money. A lot of money. But I like that pick, so I'm actually glad you said that because my other corner outfield option was Jock Peterson. And the whole funny thing about why the Cubs signed Jock Peterson is because he is basically the spitting mm-hmm. image of Kyle Schwarber, just $3 million cheaper. <laughs> you are so right. And the Cubs non-tendered Schwarber. So it's a weird thing there. I am I am really excited to talk about Jock because he turns 29 in April. Pat, you and I mentioned this in our, I think it was our hot stove episode weeks ago, he was actually one of the oldest serious free agents on this market. And he's only 29. Yeah. But the bottom line is that Jock Peterson shouldn't be allowed to hit against lefties. He's that bad. But if you just look at his right-handed hitting numbers, he deserves to have a, a starting spot on this team. So that's obviously a huge conundrum. What do you do? And what the Dodgers did when he was there for his entire career is they platooned him. And it worked really well. And I can give, I mean, his career playoff splits. I'm looking at his playoff numbers in 2020 because the regular season 2020 wasn't super inspiring, to say the least. <laughs> versus right-handers, 238, 349, 501. You ready for the left-handers? Yep. 191, 266, 310. That's his batting line. It is that much of a difference Again, I'm just taking Jock Peterson against righties, and I think he deserves a, a starting spot. Yeah, I think he's a really intriguing player to look at, and it, it's such an interesting swap with him and Schwarber right. because that's that's what this is, basically, for the Cubs. Uh, and you know what? Again, I talk about Schwarber with the home run potential. I don't have a problem betting on power, and I don't have a problem betting on a 29-year-old outfielder. I don't the, you know, coming over from the Dodgers. So I think this is a, a smart move from the Cubs to at least give it a try. This is not something that's going to hurt them. It's something that, again, another type of high ceiling type moves, which are moves that I really like, especially for teams, you know, like the Cubs that are going to be trying to catch lightning in a bottle for a roster yeah. that I, I don't think is completely whole. So I, I think this makes sense. And if it hits, it's got potential to hit, you know, very strongly. So it's a solid move in my mind. I think so too, and, and they have center field pretty much locked down with Ian Happ. They have right field pretty much locked down with Jason Hayward. Did Kyle Schwarber play most of his games in left? Most in left, yep. Yeah, so, so maybe Jock uh, sneaks in there. I also just wanted to say one more thing about his splits. So three hitters since 2015, Marcelo Zuna, Jock Peterson, and George Springer. They actually have eerily similar batting lines. Jock Peterson has a 15-point better weighted runs created plus. And George Springer and Peterson are equal. So from 15 to 19, Jock Peterson and George Springer had similar weighted runs created plus as basically averaging all or, or taking into account all of a player's hits and making sure that they take into account whether it was a single, double, triple, et cetera. 
Springer is obviously the better hitter. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying Peterson against a righty is some serious potential. And he always, without a doubt, shows up in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And that's important. So yeah. I, I like the move. I do. I think so, too. All right, let's go to One more DH. position player left. Yeah. Uh, DH. Uh, oh, center field. I would say. Yeah, go I ahead. could give you a DH. Um, but center field wise, it, it's it's something we agree on again. It has to be George Springer. You know, yeah. the the big fish of the off season. So important to bring that presence to Toronto. Talking about it before with Simeon. Just it's a young lineup. It is a fun team. You're bringing in a veteran presence, a guy that's been there before, a guy that's won a World Series. You know, one of the best center fielders in the game. We all know about the pop. We all know about the postseason numbers. He's a good center fielder. I, I expect that to regress over the next couple seasons, but definitely I, I felt, you know, comfortable with them giving him that type of contract, especially in the AL where you know the DH is going to be. It's just a great move for Toronto. It signified that they were ready to compete, that they expect to get back to the postseason, and that the American League East is not going to be a cakewalk for the New York Yankees. No, that's a good point. I think George Springer was one of the best position players on the market this this offseason. And the stat I love the most about George Springer, he is in the top 10 on MLB's all-time postseason home run list. Yeah, that's he's the thing. He comes seven. through in the clutch. And he's one of the best leadoff guys in the league. He brings a ton of veteran experience, a ton of postseason experience, with the, which the Blue Jays desperately need. This is the per- it's the perfect marriage for them, and I'm really excited to see what what Toronto can do this season. I am too. They are. We talk about teams to watch. We've mentioned it many times. Yeah. They are for the American League. They are right towards the top. Yeah, I think so too. All right. So my DH pick is a little bit of a wild card. I'm gonna go with Chris Davis. So he was a part of the Elvis Andrew trade. Elvis Andrews trade, which sent. Davis to Texas and Andrews to Oakland. Davis is obviously he's known for hitting four straight seasons of 247, which is just <laughs> it's weird. my favorite stat. Yeah, um, but he had 42, 43, and 48 home runs in 2016, 2017, and 18. We're only two seasons away from Chris Davis hitting 48 home runs. I think people need to put that in perspective a bit because another really good buy low option and the Rangers need some hitting and the A's need some defense, which is perfect for Andrew slotting in at shortstop with the loss of Semyon. I don't know. You have the obvious option, Nelson Cruz. He's my honorable mention. He's one of the best hitters in baseball and he's 41. He's unbelievable. But I can see a healthy Chris Davis rebounding this season, get putting up some really good numbers, and then maybe just like Dahl, he becomes a trade candidate for the Rangers at the deadline too. Yeah, I like that move for both teams, just that trade as a whole. I think it I think it made sense. And Davis, as you said, a lot of power potential um, and will really help, again, lengthening that lineup down there. So I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and yeah. mine, I did. I just, I can't knock over Nelson Cruz. Just boomstick. You take out 2020, the shortened season, in which he still hit 16 home runs. Yeah. Mind you, the last six years, he's hit over 35 home runs. It, it's just <laughs> incredible what he does. And <laughs> that, that's, that's, I'm just going to leave it. What Nelson Cruz does year after year is just incredible. 
Yeah, so. the the report came out. I actually don't even know if it's confirmed. Albert Pujols' wife said he was going to retire after this upcoming season. Yes, and then she walked it back. So yeah, we'll so see is what it, happens. It's it's not confirmed now because he also denied it, which is which is weird. I don't know. His contract's up at the end of this year is is the what they ended up framing it as. So, so we'll he's going to have happens. to make a decision regardless. But yes. if, when he retires and when Miguel Cabrera retires, Nelson Cruz is him and Mike Trout are the best hitters in baseball. I'm mm. saying it. Yeah. I'm going to put Juan Soto up there because I'm a huge Juan Soto oh, wow. lover. But I, I'm that high on him. But no, Cruz is, Cruz is phenomenal. All right, let's 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 go into our pitchers because I see we're, we're getting up there a little bit. Yeah, so I really wanted to go with Blake Snell here. But I'm actually going to go with Lance Lynn. And it's similar, same vein of why I talked about Jake Odorizzi being so valuable. Lance Lynn pitches so many innings i don't know how Every many times year. i have to say it he's 33 years old and he's led the league the past two seasons and in innings pitched that's it he's so valuable they the rangers traded him to the white Sox for a prospect in dane dunning who's very valuable another weird like if the rangers really wanted to compete they would have kept lance lynn but anyways Fifth in war across these two seasons. Most innings pitched in baseball in those two seasons with the Rangers, like I said. I I don't know what else to say. He is the guy you want on the mound when it comes to durability, when it comes to value, and you've got Giolito and Dallas Keuchel with him. Perfect fit is is the simplest way I could put it. It's just a perfect fit for what the White Sox needed and what they were looking for in that rotation. And as you said, I think he's going to be able to supply some top line innings for a team that kind of needed that. Mm-hmm. And he's a consistent starter, and that's that's going to be really important for them. Yeah. Who do you, who did you have? So mine kind of goes along the same lines in that I I didn't go with the you know the clear picks of say a Darvish or a Snell, and I went mm-hmm. to Carlos Carrasco moving okay. from from Cleveland to the Mets, and it's the same type of of move there and that it adds stability it adds consistency the biggest thing with the Mets last year and why they were disasters because getting a lot of innings was Rick Porcello Michael Waka, Robert Gisellman just guys that they were not supposed to be pitching yeah. in that big of a role now Carrasco able to slot into that rotation as well gives it been one of the better performing uh, American League pitchers for a very long time stability consistency two big terms both for Lynn and Carrasco and I think it'll be very important for both as they compete to uh, to win each of their divisions. Yeah, th- those words are perfect. That's exactly what I was going for, so thank you. I still think Snell has another Cy Young in him, and I don't necessarily just think Lynn and Carrasco do. Yes, that's but fair. But I think, honestly, if Snell wasn't on the Padres right now, the Padres rotation would still be pretty okay. <laughs> it, it would, but I would agree that Snell has the higher ceiling. Yeah. That's what I've been going with with most of these picks, but for this, this we win consistency. Yeah. All right, and my so my relief pick is a serious wild card. I really I like he- it because I agree. I, I had Hendricks, and I honestly was I've talked about him so much that I I wanted to do something different. Another honorable mention, Alex Colomay. I think he's very good and very mm-hmm. underrated. Minnesota guy now. I think the most important offseason transaction at the relief pitcher position is Tommy Conley. He signed with the Dodgers for two years. And $4.2 million. He won't even pitch this season because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. But when he was on the Yankees, he had some serious numbers that made me think that when he returns in 2022, a lot of teams are going to wish that they paid for him like the Dodgers did. It is weird to have a guy on your roster that's hurt. We see it before. We've seen it before. But 
He, in 2019, he had a 49% whiff rate on his changeup, and he's in the 91st percentile, Pat, in expected ERA, batting average, slug, K percentage, whiff rate, and fastball velo. Yep. <laughs> 91st percentile. No, I, I completely agree. And that you went along the same line I did with him. He's in the 96th percentile in whiff rate. Uh, yeah, that's to, which is just an insane number. So, I, as you said, this is this is why the Dodgers are where they are. It's because they mm-hmm. are planning out. It is it is looking at this as you know from the entire picture here, and I, I think that's a great move. And it, it's really really intelligent. They're going to compete for a decade. The yeah. Dodgers. It's how they've built their model. It's about sustainability. And the other thing I wanted to say is that Kenley Jansen has an opt out after the twenty one season could be intriguing tommy conley could move into an even bigger role i actually think he got overshadowed by a lot of other yankees guys when they had that really strong bullpen a couple of years ago he was used as an opener in a lot of situations Mm -hmm. but i think conley has some serious stuff and you obviously take a risk when you take a guy after tommy john but i think he slates in really well in that dodger rotation uh, dodger bullpen Definitely. And then I stick in the same city when I go with my rotation arm and I can do mine very quickly because it's a very simple reason. When you think of the Angels, you know they need pitching. So what they, while they didn't acquire the starting pitching depth that I think you or I thought that they should this offseason, at least they looked at the bullpen a little bit. They acquired Rossiel Iglesias from the Cincinnati Reds. I think he's been one of the more consistent and solid closing pitchers over the last couple seasons. I really like him in that bullpen and it at least gives them something yeah. pitching-wise because... Ooh, I can't say I love what they did otherwise. Oh, God, it makes me so freaking mad. I can't even get into it. You don't they... love that their big acquisition was Alex Cobb? Jose Quintana? No. Uh, that doesn't get you excited? They they addressed it, Pat. They did? Important caveat? They didn't pick anybody who could make a serious impact. No. No, it still blows my mind that they didn't go all in for Trevor Bauer, because they could have benefited from him more than anyone. But Yeah. That, They're wasting uh, years of, of Trout Prime, but I do think um, they picked they picked up Jose Iglesias too, right, from the Orioles at shortstop? Yes, yes to take they, over for Simmons. Yeah, to take over for Simmons. And Iglesias in the bullpen is a serious closer. But mm-hmm. once again, we're going to see Angels starting pitcher problems. What's in, new? In this new upcoming season. Yeah. yeah, what is new? But that'll do it then for our uh, our uh, all the... Uh, the highest impact players that moved this offseason. Yeah, Pat and I fielded a team. I have yeah. no problem saying that that would be the best team in the league. I'd say so. I feel pretty cool. We had there were a lot of high impact guys that moved yeah, this, this offseason. So you, you could field a pretty good team there. As um, slow our- as slow as the MLB offseason always goes, this one was actually one of the more interesting slash most volume of moves i guess you could say yeah there the splashes didn't really about. come until last month really but there was it ended up being a decent amount of guys moved free so. agent wise but trade trade wise we had snell and darvish in the first two months right yes yep. yeah yeah and then lindor was early january yeah so yeah some exciting stuff all but, right let's move to numbers you want me to start yeah sure all right so i'm going to the nba my number, the craziest number I heard this week is 25. Because on Thursday night against the Pelicans, Damian Lillard hit his 25th game-tying or go-ahead field goal in the final 20 seconds of a game. That's the most in the NBA since he entered in the 2012 season. Yeah, I just chuckle 
because it's, it's, it's Dame time. I mean, that's what it is. The, it's what the guy does. He's a winner. He's uh, We talk about clutch with George Springer. That's yep. what Lillard is for the NBA. Even more so. I, he, yeah. He's the most clutch player in the NBA by far. That that secured Portland's sixth win. Portland's in kind of an interesting spot. I picked them as my team to watch when we did our NBA preview episode. They're not doing as well as I thought, but a lot of that is because of injuries. Mm-hmm. At this point, Dame is putting the entire franchise on his back. He doesn't have McCollum. He doesn't have Nurchik. He doesn't have Zach Collins. And he's still making these unbelievable shots to eke out wins for Portland. It's unbelievable to watch, truly. It's so it's so fun watching him play. Yeah. It, it just it really is because it, it's just a guy at the top of his craft, especially yep. when it comes to big moments. So, it's so Did is, you see that? Uh, it was uh, pretty outdated at this point, but when LeBron pulled up at the logo and airballed a three, and everyone was like, why are you trying to be Dame? He's the only guy who can hit that shot right now. Pretty much. I mean, it, it really is incredible yeah. <laughs> to watch him. So, no, definitely a good number there. Um, then my number is 41, and that is the amount of years to the day when this podcast releases tomorrow, February 24th, since the Miracle on Ice team got the gold medal against Finland wow. at the 1980 Olympics, of course, beat the Soviets in that Miracle on Ice game in the semifinals. Just really cool moment. Obviously, one of the biggest moments in American sporting history it happened in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, and 41 years since uh, when this comes out. It's pretty crazy. It doesn't feel like that. Wow. I, it, it's crazy. That, Not that's that we were alive, obviously. Saying. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but just just cool to look back and, of course, want to honor that team because what they did is just in- incredible. That's really cool. Did you watch the Lake Tahoe games? Oh, yeah. I loved yeah. it. It was, so, it was so cool. Unfortunately, the Sun decided to battle the NHL right. and uh, forced them to move that first game on Saturday to uh, to midnight Eastern, which is not <laughs> great for ratings. Um but was fun to be able to see that game and then be able to watch the the Bruins put beat down on the Flyers the next yeah, day. Yeah, the views were just insane. It was so cool. So cool. I, I hope that this starts a trend of NHL doing more of these games, not at football stadiums, because as cool as it is to be able to get, you know, 60, 70, 80,000 fans in when we can have fans in, mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of having these cool environments like a Lake Tahoe instead. I have to imagine it helped ratings too, because yeah. I watched those games and I wouldn't consider myself a serious NHL fan at all. Yeah, so I, I loved it and I hope they do more of the same in the future. Yeah, cool. cool. All right, we got a pretty good mix of sports in today. I'd say so. But we will end as always with best of, and I'm excited for this one. We're going to do best Harry Potter book and movie. Do we want to do both? I was basically combining it, so I I have the same answer. All right, I guess I had the same, too. You go ahead first. Sure, so mine, I'm going to go with The Half-Blood Prince, and I have a very simple reason for that, why I go with number six, and it is because what it does is it really starts to turn the camera and starts to turn everything to see how important a character Severus Snape is, and that's Mm. why I love it, because I know, obviously, it comes to more of a forefront in the seventh, but... I really like that that was the one that started to shift the focus a little bit into him more so. And I I just, I love that storyline throughout the entire series. Interesting. So the sixth is definitely my least favorite movie, actually. I vividly remember seeing the sixth one in theaters and being scarred afterwards because of that scene when Dumbledore drinks the potion in the cave. That was, that was 
traumatizing. Oh, I remember that one vividly as well. But it's funny <laughs> because my favorite, it's boring, but it's, it's, my favorite book is the seventh and my favorite movie is seven part two. And I know that's boring, but my favorite scene in all of the franchise is when Harry sees the memories of Snape right after Snape dies and he realizes mm-hmm. that whole storyline. So that's yep. actually cool that that's that's I, I'm doing more the setup the of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I loved 7 part 2, especially 7 part 1 is very close to being my least favorite. And it's it, that one like, was just such a setup for for yeah. Hollywood type reasons. Yes, completely agree. Se- Seven Part Two was phenomenal. Saw it in theaters. Had an incredible yeah. time with it. Like that was awesome. How they when, finished it. When Hermione is in Malfoy Manor and Bellatrix brands her with the mudblood. That's yep. that's one of the worst scenes. But Seven Part Two when they when they bring all those characters back and it's sad. It's sad obviously at the end. But I love when everything comes together. And the book, bu- I'm always standing by the books are much better than the movies. Yes. But the whole seventh book, it's a whole adventure just reading through the whole thing. I loved yeah. it. Oh, it was, it, as you said, it was really, it was just awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was great, really enjoyable, uh, and a cool way to close it. Yeah, and obviously you can tell that we're both huge Harry Potter nerds, so please tweet at us what your favorite or least favorite Harry Potter book or movie is. Maybe character as well. Yeah, maybe we'll do that in a, in a future one because there yeah. are a lot of options there. I took a class in college, Pat, that went through some Harry Potter books. It Did was you so really? Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. It focused on the third one mostly, but Nev- I can Neville's already. Neville's awesome. Just I can already. What'd you say? Neville's awesome. Just <laughs> no, I was just gonna say I'm already putting some thought into what I would say if I had to say character. So that could be a good one. <laughs> cool no but yeah that would i think that's a that's a fun way to another fun best of and we'll keep keep them going um but that also leads us into you guys so let us know some of your favorite harry potter movie book maybe characters as well and uh, if you could give us some suggestions for future best ofs that would be great too um so as emma was saying at the beginning of the show you know subscribe to us on itunes so you never miss an episode leave a rating because it really helps us out you can follow us on instagram and twitter at did you hear pod again let us know what you think of the sports stuff on top of the harry potter stuff whatever it is you want to talk about we're happy to engage with you um but that will do it for us so emma that's a wrap 